those of you who may be watching at home, we're uh, again very honored to have you uh, invite us into your living room that we might spend some time with you uh, via, well, they call that remotely, but uh, thank you for watching and listening as well. This morning we, we take that step into a, a new chapter of the book that we are studying. And a couple of things that came to my mind, we're talking about uh, what the Bible says about hope. There's a couple of verses I would share with you that aren't uh, necessarily going to be in the notes, but they're, they're powerful reminders of hope. Uh, Solomon wrote in Proverbs 13, 12, he said that hope deferred makes the heart sick, but when a desire comes, it is a tree of life. Job, in writing about hope, he said in Job 27, verse 8, he says, for what hope, uh, what is the hope of the hypocrite? Though he may gain much, if God takes away his life, will God hear his cry when trouble comes upon him? It's a great question. The author of the book of Hebrews, writing to Hebrew believers that had come to faith in Christ, he wrote to them in Hebrews 6, verse 19 and 20, speaking of those that have placed their faith in Christ, he said, This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil. We're talking about hope this morning, and more specifically, a hope that purifies us. If you're anything like me, you have come to faith in Christ. Perhaps you've been walking with him for a day, a week, a year, a decade, or three or four. And what goes on continually in this life as a Christian is a desire to be more, made more like Jesus. A desire to be uh, purified, if you will. Because Lord knows there's a lot of impurities in this flesh. You know, you talk about uh, the water purifiers they have this day. All you got to do is go down to Lowe's or Home Depot or something and buy the box and stick it under the sink and hook it up to your, your intake, which I still need to do. I have one in my garage that's been there for four months, but that alone. You know, the purification of the soul is not a box that you go buy and hook up. And yet the desire in the heart of the disciple of Christ is to pursue that purifying work. Well, what's beautiful to me that uh, you, you come to this apostle named John who thought of himself actually as the one whom Jesus loved. And 
he understands that desire. And we'll, we'll talk about why he would understand it so much in just a moment, but he understands that desire for uh, being purified in the process of life until we get to heaven and, and our home. And so here in these first three verses of his letter, his first letter, verse 3, he, he tells us that everyone who has this hope purifies himself as he is pure. And what we want to do this morning is unpack uh, some simple truths that, that John gives us there in these three verses that are a window or a door, if you will, to having that kind of hope that, in fact, is purifying you and I as we go along in our lives. And this hope, having this hope, involves three things. It involves beholding, it involves knowing, and it involves trusting. And I want to open those three uh, keys to possessing a hope that purifies us with us this morning in our short time together. So I draw your attention again to verse 1. As John says, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us. It's important in any kind of Bible study <clears throat> or Bible reading, anytime you're, you're sitting with your, uh, your sword, you know, you're sitting in your chair or whatever, and, and you, you read something, and you're not sure you understand it all, or let's say you want to dig a little deeper about what something means. It's always good to either have, uh, you could have uh, a Webster's Dictionary with you, especially the 1800 version is very biblical. You could have a, a Bible dictionary with you or, or something. And today, the, the sources are endless. You can just have your phone and go online and look at Vine's uh, expository dictionary of New Testament words or whatever. You just It's endless. But the key is just saying as we sit and read, Lord, is there something you want to show me today? And one of the things that, that pops out here is that word behold. Now, when I went to the uh, Blue Letter Bible, you can go there online as well, and they have a tab that says uh, lexicon or dictionary, you would be amazed at the amount of words that are defined as behold. There's a lot. So what happens is you have to go to the original word, Uh, And then that original word will have a corresponding number over it. And then you find that number's definition in uh, a dictionary or lexicon. So this word behold is very important uh, to John. That's why he, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, would place this behold as opposed to another behold. It's very important to, to John as he's trying to communicate Uh, what will produce the kind of hope that purifies. 
I never did very well in my English class in school. Maybe some of you did better. That's why I really appreciate something that kind of defines things for us. And this word, behold, in the original language is what they call uh, aorist imperative active. How's that, right? What does that mean in simple terms? In simple terms, it means this. An action that must begin now. Different than a continuous action, but an action that, that starts right now. And doesn't that make sense? If John is going to unpack how to have a hope that purifies, it starts with the need of this action that must start right now. Well, that raises a question. What action? The word behold, even though that's its grammatical setting, the word behold here, what it means is this. If you're taking notes, my notes are in the foyer if you want them. If you want to take note this morning, you can. Uh, four examples of what action is supposed to take place. Number one, you're to perceive with outward senses or see. So John says... Hey, take a look with your eyes, with your outward senses. Perceive this. Secondly, he says, this word behold means to understand. Uh, writing to the believer, he says, you're, you're to understand something. You're to see it with your eyes, this something. Thirdly, you're to experience it in the same way that you would experience death, corruption, or grief. How many of us this morning know that when, when grief hits our front door or, or the corruption of something hits our front door? I mean, that we feel that. It's not just some, you know, intellectual, oh, I've I've experienced death. No, I mean, we lose someone we love and, and that hits our soul heavy. And so John is saying, you're, you're to see this, you're to understand it, you're to uh, experience it, and lastly, you're to know it intuitively. What does it mean to know something intuitively? Most of us in this room, if not all of us, drive a car. And you know intuitively that when you put the key in and start the car, that there are certain motions that we have to go through, checking our mirror, putting in a drive, and st starting out on the road. Those are things we do intuitively. And so John is saying, first of all, see this with your eyes, understand it with your mind, experience it in your soul and know it intuitively. What's he talking about? He's talking about the love of the Father. Behold. See it. Understand it. Experience it and know it intuitively. Behold the love 
the Father has bestowed upon us. And you think of uh, the love of the Father. There are categories, I think, in which the brain can put the love of the Father. How do do I see that? How do I wrap myself around uh, the love of the Father? I think uh, of in times past, prior to when John was writing, I think of John who himself beheld in all of those senses the love of the Father in Christ. And then in our time today to uh, see, perceive, experience, and know intuitively the love of our Father uh, expressed in Christ. So when we talk about the love of the Father in the past, yeah, I think all the way back to the beginning, Adam and Eve, Genesis 3, right? When Eve was deceived by Satan and ate of the fruit and then, give to, then did give to her husband and Adam did eat and their eyes were open and they knew they were naked and, and they had fallen from uh, that perfect relationship with God that he had intended that they enjoy and, and yet he gave them a free will so that they could choose to obey him or disobey him and the choice was to disobey him and then sin entered the world. The Bible tells us that sin entered the world through one man. Thus all have sinned and fallen short. Did you know you're related to Adam? He's your long distant cousin. And mine. And you can't disown him. You know, Ancestry.com will not take you all the way back to that, but the Bible.com will. And think about the love of the Father. He could have just said, that's it, you're done, you missed it. Dead. And yet in his love, we're told that he killed an animal to cover their nakedness with skin. You think about Abraham. Abraham's uh, experienced, saw, understood the love of the Father. I mean, the Father God told him, take now your son, your only son Isaac, And take him to the place where and I will show you. And offer him there as a sacrifice unto me. And you remember the account. Many of you have read it. Many of you know it. Uh, Abraham and Isaac go. And they go to the place. And uh, Abraham lays Isaac on the altar. And he, he, in obedience, I mean, I can't even fathom it. But in obedience to Uh, This God that he knows is real and true. He he lifts the knife to make the sacrifice. And God says, stop. For now I know that you will serve God. And in his love, out of the thicket, he produces a ram that Abraham then offers as a sacrifice and God says to him, by myself, Genesis 22, 6, uh, 16, 17, he says, by myself I have sworn 
says the Lord, because you have done this thing and you have not withheld your son, your only son, in blessing I will bless you, multiply I will multiply you, and your descendants will be as the stars of heaven and as the sand of the seashore, and your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. Abraham, through you I'm going to create an entire nation of people be innumerable. And oh, by the way, he didn't tell them then, but we're told in the New Testament later, as the Apostle Paul tells us, that by the way, that nation of people is going to be given my word, and they're going to be the custodians that carry my word all throughout uh, the chronology of time so that humankind can know that I love them through the premise of this word, that's what I'm gonna that's how much I love you, Abraham. Jeremiah thirty one three. Jeremiah says, The Lord has appeared of old to me, <clears throat> saying, Yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love, therefore with loving kindness I have drawn you. And so this love of the Father toward his people, which began with the nation of Israel, began in Abraham, began in Adam and Eve, is an everlasting love. It doesn't stop. It's not, you know, there's not a cutoff point. It's like, uh, done loving you. Uh, that's enough. No, it's an ever, ever, everlasting love. Jeremiah 31. And then you think about, okay, the, and there's so many more examples of the love of the Father in time past, but think about John now for a moment. Think of, of uh, the love of the Father expressed in Christ to John. And if you would, take a moment, turn with me backwards to John's Gospel, chapter 13. John's Gospel, chapter 13. And as you're turning there, uh, we had a privilege, several of us from the fellowship, to go to a, a Northern California and Northern Nevada Calvary Chapel pastors and leaders retreat uh, just this last Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. And Oh, man, it was such a rich time. It had been years since there had been a leadership retreat and many years since we'd been at Mount Hermon over at the coast. And uh, the the speakers, the fellowship, um, our time together, those of us who are able to go, just precious. And they're going to have another one next year. We'll, we'll keep that on the calendar. But one of my favorite speakers and is a colleague in Calvary Chapel, a uh, pastor pretty close to here down at Elk Grove, and uh, it's called Calvary Chapel Laguna. His name is Rich Chafin. He'd probably say, Art, why are you, why are you using my name in a sermon? Sorry, Rich, but... Uh, you know, he, he shared something that uh, there were a lot of things shared that were revelation and, and fresh manna. But one of the things that Rich shared really impacted my heart. And I'll, I'm going to go ahead and, and thank Rich for it and share it with you. If you look at verse 1 of chapter 13 of the Gospel of John, it says that now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own 
who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And supper being ended, the devil having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand, and that he had come from God, and that he was going to God, arose from supper and laid aside his garments, took a towel, and girded himself. And after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. And many of you know this account, you know as it goes on that Peter, you know, doesn't want his feet washed by his master, but uh, his master says, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part. Oh, then wash all of me. And as it goes on, we, uh, he tells them, what I'm doing to you now, you don't understand, but you will. And what Pastor Rich made clear, and this was really, uh, to me, it was like meat and potatoes of something in the word is that uh, culturally, in those homes, what you did as soon as a, a guest came in is you washed their feet. They wore sandals. They've been out in the, the Middle East dust all day. And so you came in, and it's like intuitively in our culture now, when we come into a house, uh, we're welcomed if it's cold and we've got a big coat, we take our coat off. If it's, you know, we, there are certain things culturally that we do. And what you were to do culturally there is you were to wash the feet of anyone coming into the home. And yet, this is the most important supper, it's the Passover. All of those guys knew how important this, this celebration was. And yet none of them was willing to wash feet. John wouldn't wash Peter's. Peter wouldn't wash Thomas's. Think about it. They'd been with the Lord for three years. He had taught them about servanthood and humility. And what, was, what do you think was going on? They were paralyzed by their own pride. They had argued about who is the greatest. And they were so paralyzed by their own self-focus that none of them could do what they should be doing. The love of the Father. John was probably one of those ones that was like, feeling guilt in his heart, like one of us should get up and do it. And before, before he can do anything, what happens? Jesus gets up. He girds himself and he begins to wash feet. Are any of you paralyzed by self-focus and pride that you're not able to do what you know you should do as a, as a servant of the Most High God? I just thought that was so profound. Jesus knew that God had given him everything. He knew where he'd come from, and he knew where he was going. The apostles, 
they couldn't realize that they'd been given everything. They wouldn't remember where they'd come from, and they were unsure of where they were going. And so their confusion and their pride paralyzed them from being able to do in that moment what they could do. And so the love of the Father is expressed again to Christ. And in our day, talk about the love of the Father in times past, the love of the Father in John's day, and the love of the Father in, in our times where Jesus tells the, the uh, parable of the prodigal son, right? That one who, who leaves and squanders his inheritance. And when he realizes that even his father's servant has more than him. I'll, I'll go and I'll just be my father's servant. When his father sees him coming down the road, he runs after him and throws his arms around him and kisses him and says, bring out the robe, bring out the ring, let's celebrate. That's how much God loves you and I. And maybe there's no one here this morning that has, has wandered so far away that you've squandered your entire inheritance. Maybe there are. Maybe you're watching at home and you realize, this life, man, I need to do something different. God is standing there, the Father with open arms saying, come. And perhaps with you or I don't know, but maybe it's just this, you're not living that life of obedience and seeking to please him in all things, and you know you're kind of straight away and whatnot, and he's whispering to your ear right now, just come, I love you. Romans 5.8, but God demonstrates his own love toward us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Ephesians 2, 4 through 6. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses and sin, made us alive together with Christ, for by grace you are saved, and raised us up together, and made us to sit together in the heavenly places in Christ. Oh, the love of the Father. John says, hey, the first step to having a hope that purifies is see his love, understand his love, experience his love, and know it intuitively. I hope this morning if you walk away with nothing else, you would walk away going, man, God loves me. The Father loves me because he does. Having a hope that purifies starts with beholding the love of the Father. There's a second thing that John gives to us that comes to us in the first verse, the latter portion of that verse, if you'll turn back there to 1 John 3. Verse 1, the latter portion of the verse, John tells us, therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him. The second thing that having a hope that purifies involves is knowing. The first thing is beholding. The second thing is knowing. And the question becomes knowing what? 
The answer is knowing that the world is not going to know you. The world will not know you. As you and I walk with God, the world is not going to uh, just come alongside you and clap and go, wow, we're so glad you're seeking morality. Wow, we're so glad you, you love doing the right thing. Wow, so glad that you're seeking to live a pure life. And, and They're not going to do that. The world system is not going to do that. In fact, Jesus said, John 15, the gospel of John, verse 18, said, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. <laughs> oh my goodness, have you read anything that's come down the pike lately in terms of gender confusion? Have you seen anything that's coming down the pike recently of, of, as it relates to uh, what we're supposed to do to clean up our act as a country? Have you seen anything come down the pike lately of, of the variety of things that are called Christian churches? Wait a minute. Uh, it's about Jesus, and it's about the Word of God, and it's about the Spirit of God, and that's it. And so if there's, uh, you know, you should expect, I should expect that when we brush against unbelieving entities in the world, when we brush up against those who have not embraced a biblical Christianity, I want you to underscore that if you're taking note, a biblical Christianity and a biblical Jesus, that, hey, they're going to step back and go, oh, you're too much for me, or no, I can't really walk with you in that. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Have you felt like a foreigner recently? Do you feel a little out of place? You should. And I'll say it again because I've said it before. If you're not feeling like you're out of step with the unsaved and, and unbelieving world then do a little self-check there. Where is your heart at with Jesus? Jesus told his followers, he said, they'll put you out of the synagogues. Yes, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think that he offers God service. Have we not seen that in recent decades where there are a terrorist who think that by killing Christians, they're doing God a favor. Maniacs. Crazies. And that's how it should be. That's how it is. And it will only increase and get uh, more aggravated. These things they will do to you because... They have not known the Father, nor me. John 17, 25, O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you, and these have known you, sent me. The world will not know you. The world is not to know you. 
And here we are safe in this little cocoon called, you know, church Sunday morning. My, my exhortation this morning is that as you go out into the world and that you touch unbelievers or you touch um, backslidden Christians or you touch uh, confused Christians that don't know really what it means to know the love of the Father or walk with God, that you would have an impact on their life because of what you do know, because that you do know where you came from. Where did you come from? You came from the dust. You and I are nothing. God is everything. We are sin. He is holiness. We deserve nothing. Get that in your head. We have a, an entitlement mentality here in the United States of America where I deserve, and I'm not absent of it. Hey, trust me, I, like every now and then we float in and out of those thoughts around us, but I love it when somebody says, hey, how are you today? Better than I deserve. That's a great attitude to keep, you know. It will make and retain us a healthy attitude as we walk through each day. Holiness. Sin. And God said, I love them so much. There needs to be a way that they can have fellowship with me. Send my son. And he'll come and he'll take upon himself the penalty for sin so that all those who place their faith in him can now again have fellowship with me. And there'll be a world all around them that doesn't know them and it's okay. Paul wrote to the Christians in Colossae. This is what he said, kind of summarizes this. Colossians 3, 2 and 3 says, Set your mind on the things above, not on the things of earth, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. That's where life is. The world is going to give passing, fleeting, short-lived little blips of of satisfaction, but life is found in Christ. And it's found in Christ when we identify with his death and his resurrection. By the way, on the 24th, we're going to have that rescheduling of a baptism. We were going to do it up at camp, but uh, we all got a little confused with the weather. Ended up Sunday would have been fine. But we held back and we rescheduled a baptism for... Uh, the 24th after church, if you're available, please come. Uh, Antonio and Alice have opened up their home for this church to come. And there's uh, a couple that we, there's a couple of individuals that we know that want to be baptized. And if you are a Christian and you haven't entered the waters of baptism, hey, what's, wait, what are you waiting for? If you are a Christian, and you have not entered the waters of baptism willfully, there, and you're not willing to do that, there's something holding back, beloved. You and I should, I love, 
I love the picture of my brother years ago, which continue to pray for him. He's, he's declining. But I, I love that picture of him. Years ago, we were up at this family's house called the Coquinas's, and they had a pool, and, and we had a baptism after church one day, and there were three or four that got baptized. And then uh, often, as always, we will offer the water to anyone who's there that as they witness this, they begin to get moved in their heart. And so like uh, the Ethiopian eunuch, Philip said, uh, told him about salvation and the Ethiopian eunuch saw water and he said, hey, there's water, what hinders me? And Philip said, nothing, let's go. And so the eunuch was baptized and so we give that expression after like, you know, if anyone is here, uh, and God's moving on your heart. The water is here. What hinders you? And with my brother, he had not planned to be baptized that day. He was totally in all of his street clothes, and he was in the back behind the crowd. Then all of a sudden, through the crowd, he comes, peeling off his shirt, running to the water, and he was a big guy. I mean, we needed a couple of guys in the water for him. And down he went, and up he came. And so... What's holding you back? Is there something holding you back from, from getting in that water? If you haven't been baptized and you're a Christian, hey, the 24th after church. All right. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. This hope involves beholding. This hope involves knowing. And finally, we'll close with this. Oh, we're way out of time. Uh, this hope also involves trusting. We get it at this last of verse 2. As John writes, Beloved, now we are the children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is trusting. Trusting that right now you know that you are a child of God. Now, let me clarify. You, you've heard the songs, you know, we're, we're all, all little children, children of God. We're not all children of God. Yes, God has created every child, but you do not become a child of God simply through physical birth. You become a child of God through a second birth called being born again. That's how you become a child of God. And trusting that you know that that has happened in your life. That right now you don't know what you're going to be in the afterlife, when you leave this earth or when Jesus comes, whichever happens. You don't know what you're going to be like. I don't know what I'm going to be like. I'm sure hoping for a better body. Maybe you'll be a, you know, a ruler over this part of the earth or that part of the earth. Maybe you'll be able to, to fly from one end to the other. Wouldn't that be cool? Yeah, I think I'll go over to Paris. We don't know. We don't know what we will be. It has not been revealed. But we know that when he is revealed, we do know this for sure. We will.
be like him, and we will see him as he is. His eyes are going to look into your eyes as you look at our resurrected, living, fiery-eyed Savior saying, Hey, well done, good and faithful servant. If you are beholding, if you are knowing, and if you are trusting, John says, then you have a hope that is constantly purifying you. I leave you with a question. Are you beholding? Are you knowing? And are you trusting? You need to answer those questions. May God give you the wisdom for each answer. Will you join me as we pray? Lord, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for your kindness to us in Christ. Thank you for the way that you have blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. For anyone here in the sound of my voice who is watching at home that recognize that they've been paralyzed by a self-focus or pride, would you deliver them from it? For anyone here who has passed over the, the glorious opportunity to behold your love, to see it, to understand it, experience it, and know it intuitively, would you, by your Holy Spirit, anoint them with that this very moment, this hour? And for those who are trusting, would you increase our faith, Lord? Increase our ability to trust you for all things. For we know you are good. And we know you love us. And we thank you for that love. Would you have your way as we go through this week? We ask it in Jesus' name.